Hello and welcome back to episode 25 of the Brew and Bite Show, or should I say season two? First up, who should we say hello to? Let's say hello to Tina. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very, uh, you know, not too bad considering it's pretty miserable outside. Had a good Christmas night, everyone else did too. True indeed. It is rather cold out there at the moment. What do we expect for England? And next up, our resident tech expert. How are you, Alistair? I'm good, thanks. Uh, as Tina says, trying to enjoy ourselves in, in this cold time of year, but uh, enjoying myself in front of my Mac. So, And not forgetting the man that spent the whole of Christmas backing up his entire network, the Backup King. How are you? Hi, good evening, Craig, Tina and Alistair and all the listeners. Uh, welcome to 2022. Can you imagine? If you have to say that quick, otherwise it just hurts far too much. Yes, I have all my backups done. I was I was quite uh, specific on what I was trying to get done over the Christmas. I had some time to get things in order. So now I have a nice range of clean and full external hard drives. So no major failures ahead? No, they didn't. I, I, I normally have a routine that I keep my main backup hard drive for three years uh, and then I buy a new one and that becomes, so I bought a new one. I've got, got a couple of good deals before Christmas, bought myself a new eight uh, terabyte drive. Um, so that now becomes my new drive and the old ones then all, all move down the line uh, to the redundant spot at the bottom of the hill. I, 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 can, I can just see this. He has, he has this bookcase behind him with all these hard drives, you know, and it slowly upgrades over time. Yeah, you can't have enough hard drives. Oh, so I've only ever had that once, a backup hard drive, which was the live drive, actually failed. It was a, what was it, a Western Digital, I think? And that that failed. And if you hadn't had another backup, it would have caused us problems. So, you know, anyone out there, if you've got, if you are using an older hard drive, especially a spinning disc one, uh, think about upgrading that on a regular basis. Whereas I've actually had a hard drive fail of a computer. It was a PC many years ago, but I had a Sony hard drive. Okay, shall we look at what's first up on our news this week? Mm, what should we pick on first? I'm going to say iCloud Private Relay. Has anybody tried this, tested it, beated it, had problems with it yet? Not experienced any problems with it. I have it currently turned on on my iPhone and on my one of my uh, hard drives of my MacBook Pro. Seems to be working quite well. Safari tells me on my phone uh, weekly updates of how many things it's blocked, and I haven't come across any websites which yet has said, no, we don't like you. I've read up on Mac rumors that T-Mobile US is deactivating it or was having a few issues, but I've not come across anyone yet who's had any problems. I have a few people who don't really understand what it is or why would you want to use it, but once I explain it to them, they're quite happy to have it turned on. That is actually a really good question because I think people are under the misconception that it's some form of VPN service. But what does it actually do, Alistair? What it does is in the past, prior to this, you would have an IP address set for your phone from your service provider and that would identify you as being sort of somewhere in the south of England and on this particular network and it would be tied to you and you wouldn't change from it. So advertising would follow you around the internet, your service provider would know exactly what you're doing and could market things to you. So Apple then said, okay, we're going to do a single private relay whereby they would have one set of IP ranges. So when you go and request, say, the BBC website, it goes out to something called DNS server. So that's one request. And then you get the reply back coming back from another 
direction. And Apple made sure that the inquiry going out was from one IP and the one coming back was from a different one. So that if anyone was trying to track you, it, it would have, they wouldn't be able to pinpoint what you are doing or try and market to you. So it's a way of obscuring who you are and what it is that you're looking at. And I am right in saying that it's not available right across the board, am I? It's only on certain apps that it works. So the best way is thinking of it's on Safari and there is a variation of it on mail. Effectively, it's a Safari-based one. Did anybody see the news where mobile phone providers or carriers, however you wish to describe them, kicked up a huge fuss this week over this service and that they're potentially blocking it? Do we know the reasons why? I don't think they like the fact that they can't track you as easily. It's all to do with money, of course. Um, they make money from uh, passing on the information where you're, what you're likely to be looking at. What it's, it all goes back to the, the Apple initiative last year. just means that it's more difficult for them to understand what you're up to and where, you know, how they can make more or even more money out of you. And also, I mean, I've, I signed onto a website on my phone and I got the prompt, do you want to give them a fake email? That wasn't the term they used, but that's what they meant. So I've now got an email that I use for this particular website and it's, you know, it was prompted. It was very clever because it also said, and as soon as you want to stop receiving, you can switch this email off. So it does give you a lot of control. And if you want to check what you've done, there's a list of them on your phone. So it gives you a lot more control. What I did find interesting when I was researching for tonight, so I've had it on my phone for a while, but I've just switched it on on my Mac. So I'll be curious how that that pans out. And for some people like me, because... I'm not very techie. I use Safari, so I'm just. I think it's just going to be a background thing that I use all the time. I know that there are two settings: you could have general, or you could actually pick where you want it to be. So I've gone with general. It'll be interesting because I mean there are some things that are regional, aren't they? Like iPlayer. I've got a friend who used a VPN in Dubai who did that specifically because she wanted to watch Doctor Who on iPlayer. So that's not one of the things that you can do. I believe. I think it's very, you know, so if, if something's got a regional lock, this doesn't bypass that. So if that's what you want, for whatever reason, you would need a VPN. You'll get something which will be classified as Britain, but you won't necessarily, if you were trying to mask the fact that you're in London or you're trying to mask the fact that you're in Edinburgh, it won't sort of suddenly give you a new city from your choice. It will be whatever pool of IP ranges it has available at that time. So if you were doing something which was particularly tied to a region, it says, okay, we're only going to be doing this for people in in a certain region. You may end up with a few problems, but that I think has been resolved in most areas. From what I gathered, the reason they didn't want to give the, the access to it is because they wanted to have a paid for service. And they didn't like the fact that Apple was giving this for free. It's, it's always a bit tricky when reading into the American news about American networks because they have different privacy laws and different sets of values. But I've not come across any European networks who, who've had any problems with this. It's also not available to everybody. Yes, it's not released publicly yet because it's still in beta or beta testing mode, but you have to be an iCloud Plus subscriber to actually have access to it too. Don't you automatically get iCloud Plus if you are over uh, on iOS 15? No, I think you've actually got to have a part of the paid service. Yeah, you can't be getting, you won't get it if you're on the five gigabyte plan if you're on the 50 gigabyte plan 100 gigabyte plan or or bigger so i think it goes up to was it three terabyte i think now is 
their biggest stores, it's still on two terabyte. You will get the service. If you pay any money to Apple for their iCloud service, you will become an iCloud Plus member. And you can opt in for privacy relay. Most people don't have it turned on though. There, there is a, there was Apple was saying that you can have a look at the settings and you can also turn it on not only for just your carrier, but also for Wi-Fi. So if you're on your home Wi-Fi or you're traveling Wi-Fi, so you're visiting a friend or relative or you're on corporate Wi-Fi, you can turn on this feature. And the issues I have seen are only for, you know, very large corporate networks. And you're sharing something on the same network. And because it, you're getting different IP ranges on Wi-Fi, it may cause a few issues. But normally your IT department will tell you about that ahead of time. Other thing is, um, in the past, when I've come across this issues with American networks, it's because they want you to upgrade to a higher plan. So it comes back to money again. So we say, oh, we're not supporting this feature on the lower budget plans. If you would like this new Apple feature, please pay us more money. I think it'll also be interesting to see what's allowed where and you'd be surprised because it isn't just places like china i know for instance dubai has a lot of control over what's allowed it is interesting wasn't it because there was a man that was prosecuted to do with his ring doorbell he was he was prosecuted by his next door neighbor i think on privacy grounds i read that and he was prosecuted because not because of video, because if you saw the pictures, considering it was, should have been looking forward, he, she was to the right of him, and it was to do with the audio function, because he had several ring, some of them weren't doorbells, they were just, you know, recording audio and video of his garden, because apparently his car had been vandalised. And it's to do with the audio, and one of the reasons that he was done in the end is... Is she said, right, you've taken this audio. I was parking my car in a general area. That's not acceptable. And he denied recording it and didn't delete it. So he was done, not so much because of the initial recording, but his subsequent behaviour to do with the recording. Because I initially felt quite sorry for him, but then I realised he was being quite sneaky. It all comes back down to that permission statement, doesn't it? So that's why Apple have taken this stance on Privacy Relay, that it, you should have the ability to opt in, not the ability to opt out. And and that's what they're, they're coming down to. It's not that they don't want advertisers to do things, but they would like advertisers to let you know that this is happening. But they don't want to go down the route of, oh, tell everyone that you're storing cookies, which everyone gets annoyed with and goes, yes, 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 whatever. On the subject of sharing information, let's say this one's more sharing of images. And I know Martin is the keen photographer amongst us as well. What has Apple launched this week? in regards to photography. Oh, that's put me on the spot. Thank you very much. Uh, I didn't. I have to admit, I didn't see it. Craig, I've been so tied up with other work. So go on, enlighten me. What have they launched with the camera? So Apple have launched their annual iPhone Photography Awards and you've got a deadline of March to submit your entry. It's that time of year, actually, that most of the big organisations launch their uh, Photography of the Year Awards. So you've got the Royal Horticultural Society, you've got landscape of the year got the photographer society dozens are out there all launching i haven't read all the rules and uh, regulations yet uh, is it limited to iphone pictures yes 
It, so, so the, what it says is uh, submitted through the group's website. Any photo can be submitted to the content provided that it was shot on an iPhone or iPad and has not been digitally altered by the desktop progr- programs such as Photoshop. But it can be taken with any photography app on an iOS device. Yes, but it, it means it doesn't have to be Apple's software, but it has to be taken on an iPhone or iPad and can't have been altered by desktop software but does the desktop software also include photos anything which is classified as a desktop version is not a, not permitted so you could use the photos on the phone but as soon as it goes off the phone you're not allowed to use it the other interesting thing is is that there is actually an entry fee five pound fifty dollars no i think we should all have a go at that and i'll certainly um, put something in next month see if i can get something that might stand a chance of actually being considered rumor has it the entry winners will be announced sometime round in july as it was the year before i don't think it's that i think what they say is if i remember correctly from the photos i've seen when they were doing it off the snow plow do you remember there was that amazing one in the snow which they did when they first started bringing the photos in they said you have to agree to allow them to use it in publicity but you own the rights to the photo but if apple use it and makes money from it you can't get any of the money should make sense wouldn't it because what you want to do is highlight what the quality of the photo that you can get from an iphone is interesting because i'm reading rumors about the iphone 14 and there's a debate about whether or not they're going to have a 48 megapixel sensor and and that's just really interesting because you're just thinking okay 48 megapixels but what size is the lens going to be what's the size of the pixels because i know that there was in cameras especially the little cameras like the point and shoot there was a bit of a megapixel race originally and then it slowed down because people realize it's not just about how many pixels it's also their size that matters so sometimes you're better off to have fewer megapixels with better size pixels to take photos and I'll be curious because I'm not sure that what I'd do with 48 megapixels on the phone. There's also the other one which Apple will always point out which is that you don't need to have higher megapixel count if their clever software which works on a, using a neural engine makes a photo of a composite photos which is a smaller file size because just because you've got a, sh- a sharper image doesn't mean it's a better image. What you really want is a photograph which understands, okay, this is sky, this is the building, this is a person standing in front, and let's get the right lighting for each one of those elements so the photo looks really interesting, especially if you're shooting at night or in a dark pub or something. What's interesting is I've just... Um scan some very old photos and I think it was probably old film alert 110 and so I can look at the pictures and I know what they are and interestingly it's from a long while ago but I'm thinking it's that person and it's a demonstration of how clever your eyes are and how clever your brain is because when I'm looking at it on photoshop close up I am hard pressed to see any detail it's just like, like there's nothing there because the Obviously, I used a print, but the print was printed from such a small negative that there just isn't the detail. And it's um, interesting. I'm, I'm tempted to put it into Lightroom to see if what they're, um, they've got a sharpening thing that's meant to be amazing, an AI sharpening. I'm curious what they do. You've got to remember the song, Tina, it's not what you got, it's the way you use it. So th- actually, though, this isn't an Apple competition. It's actually nothing to do with Apple. 
is it? This is a, a an organisation, uh, obviously doing it for the money, and it's 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 not clear. I'm trying to look through the terms and conditions about they have the right to use your photographs any way they want. Um, whether they pass them on is another matter. So you need to be a little bit wary about some of these competitions you enter in that you're giving away, as you pointed out, all the rights ad infinitum to your photographs. Some of the lesser ones, especially I'd be a little bit careful of ones that say it's all free entry, um, they're just photograph. They just want to build up their own stock of photographs, um, which they then sell on, which is uh, a little bit galling. So just be a little bit careful about that. Do we want to discuss what Apple have done over the last 12 months, or shall we say notch or not? Have we got the next three days to talk um, with what Apple got up to in 2021? Yeah, by all means, Craig, yeah. Is this uh, a euphemism here about the notch or the pill or the punch hole or whatever they're, um, the, the rumour mills are going mad about at the moment about what what Apple are going to do with the uh, the so-called um, notch reduction. I was getting rather disappointed because I was expecting to see a sort of sort of medicine-looking phone, you know, with really sharp corners and something that looked like paracetamol or something. But no, no, we're not getting anything like that. We're just getting slightly curved circles. I'd like to say at this point, Apple Watch. And the reason I'm going to say that is there were all those rumours about what the new Apple Watch was going to look like. And they were all wrong. For certain, put put your put your house on it. You can bet your mortgage on it. it's going to look like this. It's going to uh, mirror the the square edged look of the um, MacBook Pro. And yeah, you're right, Tina. The the experts were about as far removed as they can possibly be. So it's January. They're going to what make the announcement for the iPhone 14 probably September. October time. We've got months of this. And really, it's what people are used to. So I've got I've got a 12. I will wait and see what the 14 is going to look like. And we'll see because I thought I wouldn't be I'd be distressed by the notch. And quite frankly, within minutes, I was used to it. So, you know, it's more for a lot of people now to do with how long their contract is. And whether or not they're going to upgrade after 24 months or 36. Coming back to the the issue, though, could you imagine if if they went and sat in front of Steve Jobs and said, oh, by the way, we're going to have this pill-shaped slot, and then beside it we're going to put a hole punch, uh, which is going to be off-centre. Um, what do you think? After he'd fired a lot of them, I should think it would have been complete nonsense. I just, I just can't see Apple doing something as aesthetically ugly looking as as the notch and a, the pill and a punch hole maybe reduce the notch down a small uh, already they what did they take off it last year 20 percent was it they reduced it in size they may very well do that there's all this talk about what they can put under the screen uh, they can still shoot through the screen without being affected and the three problem areas are obviously the camera lens you want that to have the best clearest view the um is it infrared sensor and the other one is is it the dot dot metrics viewer that it needs that needs to see through a clear screen so but as you say tina i I haven't noticed the notch on my phone for years it's just there it's it's become an apple feature hasn't it it's a bit like um it's something you associate now with with apple i can't see them going down the pillar notch route at all i have a different perception so i don't think they will remove the notch i think it will be the year of the notch and that you'll see it introduced on the imacs that are coming too 
So they all follow the same design suit. Yeah, the iMac has it's got a camera the, on the top of the screen anyway, hasn't it? So the notch would easily phase in with that. The MacBook Pro now has a smaller notch with, again, with the, the camera and the FaceTime in it. So no, I can't see there being a big issue. I think, again, I also thought, I remember saying this last year, but it wouldn't surprise me for Apple to put out some deliberate non-disclosure items to try and fool people into thinking what they're, what they're doing. I think they did that last year very effective. Both the WWDC, if you remember back to, to then, they were all expecting all this stuff to come out, and in the end, nothing did. And again, the thing, as Tina pointed out about the watch, they were, they were miles off base about the watch. So That may or may not be true, isn't it? But ultimately, there are lots of things now that I've got a watch, which is a complete indulgence because clearly I have the athletic ability of Les Dawson. Um, but what would make it interesting? Well, things like, you know, if they could do your blood sugar level, you know, we're talking major health things would be interesting now. And I'm not sure what I would need to upgrade the iPhone. Because let's be fair, I know that whenever they release it, it will be the best iPhone ever until the following year when they release the best iPhone ever. So I'm looking for something, you know, that either I like aesthetically. So I loved, is it the iPhone 5, the one that was very squared off and then the metal-y bit? I like that. I'm shallow. Um, so if it, aesthetically I like it, or there's a killer feature that I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'd like that. So, you know, I quite like that idea. Is it centre stage, the one where it follows you? Yeah, I fancy that. Not so much that I'm prepared to spend hundreds of pounds, though. So, you know, it's got to fit in with something that I really want or when I'm upgrading. See, I think Martin's still disappointed, though, having said farewell to the, the touch bar. Oh, don't start me off again. I'll, I'll be crying my eyes out. Yes, I think I'm the one person in the UK that misses the touch bar. I think I might have been the only person in the UK using the touch bar as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that... If Apple stay on this retrograde uh, uh, path of bringing back items that they've lost in the past, the uh, 2025 MacBook Pro with the M4 chip in it will have the touch bar back. So I'll be, I'll look forward to that day. So not so much like touch paper and step back is like touch bar and step back, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I'm really glad to see the um, MagSafe come back. Yeah, that was that was the biggie. I think I will be interested in the idea that there might be a more professional Mac. MacBook Air with an M2 chip, so that would be interesting. That's what I'm looking forward to if it comes. Can we do a straw poll of all here present? How many of you have actually pulled your laptop off the table or a desk because you got your foot around the cable? Oh, there speaks a touch bar person. It's just in a bit of a sulk. I've done that, not with mine, but I was in a room and a client had the cable strung across the room. And as he went to get a drink, the laptop went flying and the there were two laptops on the table. One was a PC laptop and one was a MacBook. The MacBook stayed on the table. The PC ended up in plate pieces on the floor. The floor was hard concrete. So it's done that. But what was it? The, the quote was in America, what they used to have on LinkedIn, this saves a thousand lives a year in the ER rooms in america so it's it's not the adults they're worried about it's the children so what happens is the macbooks are solid bits of metal and they go flying they can hurt a very small person quite easily the the the, the other thing which is an important one is that the magsafe had the colored lights on it and the amount of people who complained that they didn't know if their macbook was charged or not one look at the old MagSafe, it was either green or orange, and you could tell if it was charged or not because they took off a little battery indicator on the side. You remember, you used to push the button, you used to go green lights. 
And so there are a number of people I've met who say, we wanted the MagSafe back so we could tell if it was charged because they're doing telephone support. And I would be talking to them. I said, well, do you see a light on the MagSafe? And they say, yes. Okay, it's working. You can't do that with the modern ones, which you just plug in. Can I just say, when my, I, I think you gave me some support over the phone because we had some sort of meeting and my um, laptop went off and I thought I'd gone to sleep and it, it didn't come back on again. And that was one of the conversations that you and I had because we were doing this whole thing about, could I feel the hard drive? Oh, I sort of could. And then we were talking about the MagSafe and it was charging, but the, the screen wasn't coming on. And as it was, it was, I think, the motherboard had gone, which was quite distressing. But under warranty, thank God, by two weeks. But yeah, so that that was one of the conversations that you and I had when that motherboard went, because you were talking about, well, what can I say on the MagSafe? Whereas, you're right, I can look at my, my charging thing now on my um, computer, and I know that I've got however many, 77%. Um, but that assumes that my screen's working. I'm going to leave one passing comment on this one. I've heard that touch bars are an expensive repair cost. The surprise. And the surprise takes a volunteer, whoever wants to go first. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to do surprise because I can't I can't bear the, the suspense. And I'll go first. Go on, what's the surprise? Okay. So a new section we're introducing to the Brewer & Byte show involves the M1. Not the M1 chip, but M1 as in you have one minute to describe your favourite feature of macOS that you've used this year. Are you ready? I am. There will be a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. So for me, it isn't an app or a piece of software or anything. The thing that I find more useful in the whole year is how everything talks to everything else. So it's the whole iCloud identity so that if I change one thing on one of my one of my pieces of kit they all know if I have a new website if I have a new password if I change a contact I don't have to think about oh I need to do it on my iPad I need to do it on this I need to do it on that um, it all just happens now some of it's spooky so if, if I start watching something on TV on my iPad and then suddenly my MacBook knows what I was watching so some of it's a bit big brother but I'm prepared to give up a lot actually for convenience so that's the thing that I find the most useful I have no idea if that's a minute or not but but that's it really the fact that it it knows what I like for websites and everything Ray, you did that in 52 seconds but who will be our contender next time that's going to be the question <laughs> I'll, I'll go next time if you want okay well, that's going to get more interesting as we go along there will be different challenges so it won't necessarily be a, a service or a product it could be an app or something you've learned different this week it has many different consultations okay well I'll, I'll do the next one Craig This week we've had a series of questions from our listeners and members and our first tech question of the day is can I use my iMac as an external monitor? So there are actually two ways of looking at this and the answer is yes to both of them 
depending on which pieces of equipment you have or how much you're willing to spend as always. So the first one I would say is, yes, you can if you have an older iMac and you can use target mode, which allowed you to use another device as an external display. And you had to be connected by Thunderbolt, if I'm not mistaken, Alistair. There wasn't any other way of doing it. I believe that was correct. But this is going back a few operating systems now. I know this service wasn't offered anymore in quite a few recent updates to check exactly when it was that they decided to stop that. Something like Sierra or high Sierra, somewhere that far back. And I know one of the updates broke it. You had to stay on a particular version and it worked. It was very specific. It wasn't on some 21 inch models. It was on, I think the 27, all the 27s, but not all the 21 or the 24 inch ones. Perfect. And the other way of doing it, if anyone has come across a company called Astropad. Are any of you familiar with Astropad? That's one of the things where you can use your iPad as a graphics tablet attached to your laptop. You are correct in suggesting that. Astropad actually make two pieces of software, one being the Astropad app for using an iPad as a, a Wacom tablet effectively or an input device. But the other one is Lunar Displays. So they actually created and patented a small device that pushes into the back of USB device. So it could be another Mac, it could be another external display, and it actually allows it to become a monitor. And the interesting thing is, is some people may or may not be familiar with this, but the developers of Astropad were two of the design team behind Sidecar for Mac OS. And in particular, pick up the market that there was for people that used Macs for target mode. They make three versions of the Lunar Display, one that is USB-C, one that is mini display port, and the other one is HDMI. And they're around $130, if I'm not mistaken. So that's one way of using your monitor as a secondary display. I don't know if anyone else has any suggestions or use different ways of doing it. Of course, you could use Sidecar, but that's going onto an iOS device. Apple have never made it easy to do that kind of manoeuvre, to use your uh, an old iMac as a secondary monitor. And so you've outlined two of the ways that you can do it. Going back even further in time, we used to do that with an Ethernet cable where you could connect and use target disk mode to view using a, 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 another monitor or another computer to view what was on a computer that might have had a duff screen or something like that. But no, I don't, I don't think it's an easy route to take. I'd have to ask why. Why are you trying to do that? What's the, the rationale behind that move? Because it could mm. be that they've got a big iMac and they've got, say, a, a, a small MacBook. So what they want effectively is, well, I can't use this iMac because it's so old that it's it's pointless, but can I use the screen? I think that is, that's what they want, isn't it? And, and they don't want to spend any money. I have just checked my own notes. iMac models shipped between 2009 and mid 2014 have the right graphics card to allow you to create disk target mode. However, Apple eliminated disk target mode support when Mac OS 10.14 came out. So the, the correct model that you would need is High Sierra or below for it to work correctly. But this seems sceptical because there are some people out there that have mentioned it on Big Sur and they've managed to get it to work on an older machine. Yeah, but did they change some Kex file or, or did they do some other deep voodoo? Yeah, that's hard to say. 
Alistair, would you like to do question number two? Someone's written in and said they have a MacBook Pro Retina early 2015 2.9 gigahertz dual core Intel i5 with 8 gigabytes RAM running Catalina version 10.15.7. They primarily use it only for domestic work, Zoom, Teams and office suite they say no heavy applications but running zoom can be heavy if you're going in excess of two hours especially in the summertime and they want it to be dependable for about a year and they don't want to upgrade the operating system for fear of it slowing down what would you advise in order to maintain the speed and reliability of this laptop so what i would say is don't upgrade from catalina keep it at catalina run something like drive dx made by binary fruit to check on your hard drive regardless if that's an SSD or mechanical normal hard drive, that will tell you if the drive is slowly failing or decaying, which is very helpful. The second one would be to have at least 20 gigabytes of free space on the drive because what we found is drives which run out of space on a hard drive will traditionally slow down and they will start to have higher data corruption. The third one I would say is try not to have these machines uh, run hot for too long. So if you're doing a two and a half hour zoom call with lots of different people connected to it it will start to overheat uh, because i have virtually identical macbook pro and when i was doing teams um and zoom after about two hours the machine would cut out because the heat management control kicks in one things i have done also is i've upgraded the internal drive and i would also suggest running iStat software so that's i then s-t-a-t by bojangle software and that would tell you all about what your processor, your RAM, your heat of your computer and your hard drive is. So I find that all very helpful and probably run a program called Silent Night, which is made by, uh, I can never remember how to pronounce it, something like Eclectic Mac or something, isn't it? And they, it has a very nice lightweight tool. It tells you if you're all up to date and you've got all the security patches. And then we've got the final question, haven't we, Craig? How can I share a Wi-Fi connection on one Mac to another? Over Ethernet, which is the important bit. It is. Does anybody have any suggestions of how you would go about doing this or even if it's possible? So this is possible one of two ways I can think of, unless any of you can think of this. So if you have a Mac Pro, Mac Pros have two Ethernet ports on them. So you can plug in an Ethernet port into one Mac Pro and you can make your Mac a hub. So it's it's transferring the data it out because Mac Pros were originally designed to be servers and servers need an incoming and outgoing port, hence why they have two Ethernet ports on them or NICs to use the correct terminology. The other one would be to get a Netgear uh, switch which you can pick up you know you can pick up a very nice four port switch from netgear and we'll put a link in the show notes and you just connect up two ethernet cables and you've automatically got a shared connection would it work if you just literally put the ethernet cable from one to the other would you have to change any settings you can it depends on how close the other mac is so that's a peer-to-peer network connection you can do that but and I warn you, there is a age gap where this doesn't work. So, so what I'm saying that, that some Macs will work very nicely with that. But if you're running, say, a Quicksilver G4 with a Mac Pro 2013, they won't be compatible because they're different 
models and they they run very differently. You have to get them within a certain age band. I think it's five years or something like that. I have I've come across this. That's why I went through the Netgear system because then it's just a, you're running a third party thing to run the differences between them. Also, it doesn't work on OS 9. It works on OS 8.5, but OS 9 doesn't work with that peer-to-peer system because I used to try it. But 8.5 did work like that. Uh, 9.2.2 didn't work, but 9.0 did. So, And that's going back a bit. My understanding of it was that to connect two Macs together via an Ethernet cable and in the sharing preferences panel, you can actually tick a box that shares share my internet connection. You can do it that way, but you run up against a problem with bandwidth. Yeah. So what you run up against is two issues. You get the first issue, which is if you're both on the internet at the same time, the secondary Mac slows down the first Mac. So that they, they both have to be at the set. They both slow down simultaneously. And the second thing you'll run up against is that some routers don't like this sort of double Mac system. So you may end up with some web pages not loading and you get a lot of drop packets and it wouldn't work. Or you, you're really forcing one Mac to work really hard if you're doing Teams or Zoom. This is kind of a brief thing rather than a feature. It was kind of also something like what you said about Martin, about us predicting the year ahead. I thought we could look at it the other way and pick one particular thing that you think you've used the most or that has helped you over the last year. So could that be an app? Could it be something that macOS has added? As it's a new year and January is considered the time where people make new plans ahead from going on a diet to making a new year's resolution, how will you be more focused in the year ahead? Uh, The one thing I wanted to do this year was to get more into shortcuts. I use a couple of simple ones in text edit and stuff like that to, you know, text replacement. But there are certain, certain procedures I follow when files come in or stuff I have to fill out or details and files from one place to another that I think could be automated. And I think shortcuts could help me do that. So this year's target was really to get more involved in shortcuts. There's a couple of good sites out there. There's a couple of good uh, people on on the web uh, and on podcasts who who are really into shortcuts. I, I never really got into Automator. I started and I tried, but didn't quite get the hang of it. But yeah, shortcuts is, I think, what I could do with using this year. I started to use Apple CarPlay, and there are certain features which are unknown which you set up so you're so used to on the phone being able to zoom into a map on carplay you can't zoom on the screen on your car you have to do it on your phone and i was comparing apple maps versus google maps and in the uk we have slightly different map systems than what we see in america we don't have all the three dimension and it was very interesting because you could do with the car i have the the directions were going straight into the car and it would come up on the navigation system as well as in front of on the dashboard whereas google maps doesn't uh, and this is for apple carplay the other thing i was doing as i uh you can press you know the the siri on your your steering wheel and you can ask play this particular 
American thing. And it would, that was all quite interesting. And doing the voice, you know, having a phone call coming in whilst you're driving. So that was a different experience. I have to agree though with the, with maps on CarPlay now. It's my, it's my go to navigation. Uh, system when I'm driving around and it's become very good at identifying problems and issues. It'll flash up a warning that the car broke down a few miles ahead, especially going around the, I've been going around the M25 a lot in the, in the mornings and evenings. And it's great there. It will tell you, yes, the M25 is, is, is choked up or blocked. Here's a, here's the faster route. And, uh, we kind of learned to our cost. We sort of, I th- I've looked at it a couple of times. I thought, nah, nah, sorry, you're, you're way off. I'm going to stick on this route. I know the route better. And lo and behold, um, walk straight into a jam or some accident so so i tend to trust the uh the maps app now for uh getting me from a to b it's uh it has got i know i know when it first came out of the, there were some real glitches in it it's a very good system now that i i, I rely on uh, i used to use uh, was it Waze? but as i said I, I just find it easier just to plug the phone into the car uh, and away we go yeah i found i got better if i connected it via lightning cable i got a better response than if i did it bluetooth i was surprised at how strong the signal is we did a test uh but pure by accident I, i'm next to a window and the car drives past below me probably about 30 feet below and my phone wants to talk to the car going past so it's quite some distance it wants to talk um the other thing we thought was quite interesting was the you learn a lot of little routes you know it tells you oh by the way you can save two minutes if you go this direction or two minutes going that direction and it even got to know my habits so it said oh do you want to go home now so it worked out oh, oh at this time you're normally going home would you like me to give you the home directions no it has come on and le- leaps and bounds it's 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 a good reliable app now for me Tina, what would you say has been a highlight or what you would like to achieve in the year ahead? I think for me is I need to get out of my comfort zone. So there are lots of things to do with that. So I finally accepted that I have to say goodbye to Aperture. So this is this is the time that I am going to be looking more at Lightroom for the moment and I've just got a new camera so I'm going to be investigating more using things like YouTube so that you know I've bought it therefore I need to to learn it better and I think that's also true genuinely about my Mac I think Lightroom now is going to be my focus I do regret the loss of Aperture we had a look at that ACDC one didn't we um, Tina yeah. I wasn't really taken and enamored with that. It didn't seem to offer what what I was actually looking for. It didn't didn't it didn't match the the basic core functions of Aperture. And I just have a problem with Adobe. I don't like Adobe, so um, Lightroom is is a bit of a pain. So um, I, I may... would be happier if I could buy as a one off Lightroom Classic. That that's the irony. So I I yeah I have a problem with subscriptions. But I think that's the model that a lot of things are going for now, unfortunately. Um, learn to use the kit that you've got. That's my news resolution. I would say that you still got, I use image capture to take the images off my big camera. So it's a Canon. And then I use Bridge just to look at the photos in the collection because I didn't want to go onto a Lightroom subscription, which is quite expensive. So I'm just, all I wanted was, okay, which photos are in focus? Which photos are better than the others? Okay, get rid of those and then put them in a folder in Finder and that's it. I'm quite basic at times. I have a MacBook Pro with Photoshop already on it because I have a different license on that one. Um, so if I need to adjust any photos, I'll just uh, transfer them onto the MacBook Pro and edit them that way. I think also, to be fair, um, 
as I, I don't know whether you've, you've used the Photos app on the Mac at all, but it has actually become a pretty good app. You can do most of what you were saying there, Alistair, in Photos. Um, I was looking at it. The, for me, the cataloging is the bit of the issue with Photos. It's not that good at cataloging um, or, file, or file management. I just find the file management with Photos baffling. Yeah, it, it is not. It's not good. That could be sorted out. They could do that better. But other than that, it is for, for rough and ready work where you just want to quickly, as you say, flick through, get rid of all the out of focus ones, get rid of all the ones with your finger on the lens, all that kind of stuff. Photos could be pretty quick for doing that and then leaving you with the core of the work you want to do. Now, from there, you can then, there's there are some quite a decent range of adjustments that you can do in photos uh, on your images that you've got. Um, and then beyond that, you can then take it into something like Photoshop, if that's your, your or I use um, Luminaire is quite good, or what's the other one, Affinity Photo? Again, you can buy them outright. You don't have to buy the subscription. And they're pretty good photo manipulation app applications. If photos had a better cataloging system and allowed me more control, what it does would be perfectly acceptable for me. Mm. Yeah, that that's my problem. My tip going forward for the year is slightly different. So I was going to look at managing tasks or time, which is something that seems very limited as we seem to go forward, as we're going back to work for lots of us. So for me, I've invested in Things 3 this year, and I'm using that as my workhorse to keep things organized or repeat meetings. And I chose it because it integrates so well in so many things. One of them, as you know, I like shortcuts and it does lots of fancy things with pulling data from other applications or making lists and working with calendars. That was my main thing for the year. I use BusyCal and one of the reasons I like BusyCal is that you've got your tasks in your calendar and you can see them well in advance. Now, to be fair, I haven't used iCal for years. I might go back and look at it, but I don't want to be having my reminders separate from my calendar. I I want to be looking at the calendar. Now, it's it's less important for me because I don't go to work. What a wonderful phrase to say. But even... Even so, what I want to know is when I look at the calendar, I want to think, oh, well, this is coming up. What do I need to do for it? I don't need, I don't need like probably things as, as overkill because, you know, I'm saying, oh, I need to post a card, a birthday card. I need to buy this. I need to renew this. I'm not talk, I'm not someone that's going to have a huge task that's broken down to subtasks that you might need professionally. I just want general reminders so, you know, I do things like I remind myself to sign into my Adobe account because otherwise they email us saying, are you still using this? Do we need to delete it? So I just sign in. I remind myself of things like that. The irony being, I can remember there was something called Lotus Organizer and Johnny Ive would have hated it. Would have absolutely hated it because is it is it skeuomorphic? The one thing where it looks like it is. So so Lotus Organizer was great because it looked like a a planner. It looked like you know you, you were opening a planner a bit like if you know had a filofax and it had like a 
today's tasks and today's pain and you could have it as a week you know I loved it so I spent years looking for something that replicated that which is pretty sad isn't it and busy cow mostly does that though I don't like how they've changed tasks because actually I want to know when I want the task to move on to the day I've completed it whereas at the moment their current iteration is that you do it but it stays on the task day you should have completed it I just want to know what my tasks are coming up and what my events are coming up all in one go now yes we've all spoken about these different things but for the podcast going forward, we're actually going to revisit these subjects to see how far people have got, what they've learned, what they could have done differently. <laughs> so the listeners also are aware of what's going on. <laughs> Treasure Hunt was the section of the show where we spend many hours dwindling down rabbit holes and looking at other things on the internet when we should be focusing on what we are doing. And it was about you sharing something interesting you've found on the internet this week. It doesn't have to be Apple related at all, or it could even be a book. Let's put it that way. I, I've got I've got an interesting book. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm going to show you, you can't see it, but these are pictures when I went parasending when I was 17. So my interesting thing of the week is seeing all these really, really old pictures. And, and this is the joy of computing. Excitement this week is finding some really old photos and then bringing them into the digital age. And that doesn't fit your um, treasure hunt thing, but I do think it was buried treasure. I'm very happy with it. Well, my buried treasure, you want a book. I've started reading a book called The President is Missing, um, written by um, Patterson and Bill Clinton. Ooh. It's a normal thriller from, from Patterson, but it's got some interesting insides from supplied by Bill Clinton. So, yeah, very got stuck into it. Quite an interesting story. Go on, Alistair. What was your pick of the week? So I was given this book for Christmas. This is The Hidden London for London Underground. So it talks about the hidden stations or the stations that never got built. So Down Street being one, the deep level shelters, which you can see in Clapham South, Clapham Common and Stockwell. You can also, it also talks about how things have changed. So there was a stations that were planned to be open, but never opened. And it's quite, it's quite interesting, especially if you, if you take in the underground, you, you, you go around it, you can sort of pick up some quite interesting facts it's also got lots of lots of photos in it and if you really want to extend that that's a book of the tours that are run by the london transport museum so you can actually do those tours because i've done a few do any of you use audible books audiobooks yes yeah if you do there's a very good one at the moment by miriam margulies her autobiography it's extremely irrelevant um but it's really funny it's just brilliant i have two random ones for me so one is the shortcut geek of me for people that own a stream deck there's been some talk around having little icons that can run shortcuts on your mac there are some workaround ways of doing this but now someone on github has released stream deck shortcuts which makes it really easy for the less geeky of us to run them from a stream deck by pushing one of the little icons you may have to do wonderful things and the other recommendation is actually a book which is by i'm sure you'll recognize the name when i say it rory keflin jones bbc technology correspondent recently released a book called switched on and it comes highly recommended if you are interested in the last 25 years of tech and how 
smartphones have changed our entire world and industry and our ways of life going forward. And he is a West Londoner, Alistair. <laughs> the, um, you alluded to it there earlier on, but the thing you didn't, we didn't mention tonight was we just celebrated the 15th anniversary of the iPhone. We did. And yeah. what was the other celebration, Alistair? You sent it to me. Remind me again. 20 years since the MacBook Pro was announced. Yes. Where has that time gone? On that subject, we will say thank you to our panel. Thank you for the return for season two. Firstly, we'll say thank you to Tina. Thank you for this evening. No, no, thank you. I'm now going to go away and stress about what I said I was going to do and whether or not I'll be able to demonstrate that I've done it. Don't worry, you've now got a whole year and not a minute this time round. So good luck with that. <laughs> and of course, thank you to Martin. That's a pleasure. As usual, Craig, enjoy our chat and our talk. And of course, thank you to Alistair and his tech advice as always. It's nice to be back and uh, discussing things with you guys again. And uh, um, I hope our listeners uh, will enjoy this episode awesome and as always it's thank you from me until next time we'll see you soon 